Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Plant Powered People Podcast with your hosts, Michelle Kane and Tony Okamoto. Today, we're excited to be taking things abroad. A lot of really exciting things have been happening in the plant-based world and space um, in the U.S., where we are, as we always talk about, but also all around the world. And so today, we wanted to take a focused look at what is happening in the U.K. We brought on our friend... Robbie Lockie, who is the founder of the wonderful website, Plant-Based News, who has actually had Michelle and I on to do some videos. So go check those out. We'll put those in the show notes. And today he's going to be talking about what it's like to live in London. Yeah, he's one of the first people we thought about when we thought about the UK because he is so active in the vegan scene. He's interviewed a million people, made videos, all sorts of stuff through plant-based news. He just keeps his finger on the current events that are happening. So we thought he'd be the perfect person to talk about being vegan in the UK. So without further ado, let's jump in. But before we do, we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor for today's episode, which is Brightland. They're the makers of audaciously nourishing, consciously crafted olive oil. We have been enjoying it a lot lately, especially on things where you can really taste the freshness like uh, bruschetta and salad dressings. Yeah, there's a huge difference between high quality olive oils and lower quality olive oils. And uh, the flavor really comes through in this one. I personally love just like dipping bread in olive oil from my Italian restaurant days. And that's what I do with this. I also very much appreciate modern design. And so the bottle shape and style is so cute even to just leave on your countertop. It is really, really beautiful. It is kind of a fashion icon for my kitchen. (laughs) And it's actually on Michelle's countertop right now. (laughs) Have it there right now. Um, So if you guys want to get a taste of this, it's a female founded company. They're based in California or they bottle in California and it really is a must try. You can head over to their website brightland.co. And uh, the duo is something that we recommend. And if you buy the duo, you get 10% off of your purchase. You just have to use the promo code plantlove at checkout. Yes. And just keep in mind, this is a little bit of a different type of olive oil than you'll find in your standard supermarket. It is quality. You're really investing in that quality. And I like to think about it like buying a bottle of wine. If I'm going to buy a bottle of wine, I drink it one night and it's gone, but I enjoyed it and that's special. But for this, you can invest in a higher quality olive oil and it will last you months for many meals, many bread dippings, and is just a really special way to treat yourself. Now on to the episode. Hi, Robbie. Welcome onto the show. Thank you so much for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're up to these days? What are you working on? Who are you? Where do you live? (laughs) <laughs> My name is Robbie Lockie. Um, I live in sunny southeast London. Uh, I have done for 20 years now, 21 actually this year. Um, I'm a full-time plant-based and vegan advocate, and I co-host and co-run Plant-Based News, which is an online platform that aims to educate, campaign, and entertain people uh, about everything that is to do with the plant-based and vegan lifestyle. So we've kind of grown over the last 18 months, and we reach about 5 to 7 million people a week on our social media. Um, And our website um, is kind of a place where you can find out everything that's going on 
in the plant-based movement from a kind of news perspective. But we also focus very much around education as well. So you'll find a lot of educational content on our Instagram where we like to show people the facts and uh, information about a whole food plant-based diet um, and how to sort of optimize your health. We talk to doctors and we have interviews with people from across the vegan and plant-based movement from athletes to, as I said, plant-based doctors, um, business people, um, and yeah, it's been quite a ride over the last 18 months. It, I still can't pinch myself sometimes because I can't believe it's taken over my life like it has. <laughs> oh my gosh. I cannot believe you say 18 months. I feel like plant-based news has been around for forever. Like it, it just is such a staple in life. It's such a, I feel like it's the place to go for news, but also you guys do so many amazing things. Your videos, your YouTube, your, uh, just, you're killing it. You're not killing it. You're saving it. You're saving the world with it, which is amazing. It's so funny because right before we started recording, Robbie was talking about the expression killing it and how we want to not kill things. And so how he finds it amusing. So that's so of course, funny. yeah, of course that falls out of my mouth. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we, before we jump into talking about how the awesome vegan scene is going in the UK, we always like to get to know people better. So can you take us back to kind of the story of Robbie, how you evolved, how you found plant-based food, plant-based living, and what brought you to where you are today? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I was born um, in Zimbabwe in Africa. Wow. Um, 39 this year, only 40 years ago. Um, and I um, grew up on a farm. Uh, so I was surrounded by animals my whole life um, and uh, went to a very small school, on, literally on the side of a mountain um, and grew up in a very rural setting. And then when I was 19, I made the escape from the village, the village to the big city where I studied telecommunications and electronics engineering. Um, but that just wasn't for me and decided to kind of further my career in in, um, graphic design and digital design in 1999. Um, and that's kind of when I started to fall in love with the internet. I was like, this is such an incredible thing. Uh, it, you know, I was at the time I could definitely see the potential for it uh, as, as a tool to connect, you know, millions and billions of people. So, um, I kind of developed my career around web design and building websites and stuff like that around that period. And then in 2000, I moved to London, um, and kind of, you know, meandered my way around various different jobs and skills, but pretty much focused all my energy on design and, and web design and stuff like that. Um, but all, all along that time, um, and as my kind of life progressed, I started um, having health problems and joint pains and stomach pains and bloating and rashes and lots of health trouble. Um, and I saw so many different doctors, um, and no one was really be, was able to help me and diagnose what was wrong with me. Some doctors thought I might have fibromyalgia or some kind of neurological disease or something like that, um, or some kind of arthritis perhaps. And I had loads of tests and nothing came back. Um, and so I started exploring the possibilities of this uh, alkaline diet or the alkaline diet. And even though I know there wasn't any sort of verifiable science behind it, I thought, well, you know, why the, what, what the hell? Like, let's just give it a try. Mm -hmm. So I experimented with juicing and, and that kind of stuff and, and kind of thought I would, you know, just go for it full time. And I did a seven day juice fast, which is like five, di five different juices throughout the day. And I felt amazing. Um, my health improved considerably. Uh, just in such a short period of time, I felt so much more energy and more alive. Um, but then when the juice fast finished, 
Um, was it seven days or five days? I can't remember. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Either way, it's it, very impressive. I did three days yeah, once it was, and it was tough. Yeah, it was, but I enjoyed it because I love fruits and vegetables. Like yeah. I never had a problem eating them in the past. And so I, um, at the end of it, though, I went to a friend's birthday party at a local pub and uh, I ordered a beef burger and it was this big, juicy, fatty, salty beef burger. And, you know, at the time I was like, wow, this is amazing. And I ate it and I was like two thirds of the way through it. And I felt so ill and so disgusting. I couldn't finish it. And I that was when my kind of love affair with meat, I think, began to come to an end. Um, and, you know, it's, I was surrounded by knowledge at the time because I was learning about health and nutrition. I was watching Fat, Sick and Nearly Dead by Joe Cross on Netflix, Forks Over Knives. All these documentaries were kind of in my, um, you know, in my sphere of understanding at the time. And I started to sort of put the pieces together for moving away from eating animal products. Um, and then a friend of mine recommended me to watch Earthlings. Um, and I watched it. I was absolutely horrified by it. Um, I just couldn't believe what I'd seen. And I think within hours of watching that documentary, um, I heard a scream outside my on my house. And I went outside uh, and walked out the front door. And on the on the road, on the tarmac, on the on the sidewalk, or whatever whatever you call it, there was a cat, kind of a beautiful white Persian cat, strewn across the strewn across the ground, in this giant pool of ruby red blood. Basically, someone had one of the neighbors had had been speeding on our um, cul-de-sac and had run over this poor animal. And she or he was still alive, but obviously barely. And I went over to them and I, you know, they always say, you know, if an animal's suffering, you should put it out of its misery. Um, and I really couldn't do it. I could not bring myself to do it. I just thought to myself, how on earth could I ever end the life of such a beautiful creature? I just couldn't do it. And in that moment, I think I became vegan. I was like, I've seen all these things. I've come to all these realizations. Here's an opportunity to essentially end the life of an animal, and I couldn't do it. So why the hell am I paying other people to do it? And that was the moment I became vegan. Um, and and. And it was interesting because I then took to it like a duck to water. I just found it a new calling and it became everything in my life. I live it, breathe it, sleep it, eat it. Shortly after, not long after, I went to a, an, an event called Vegan Futures. And that was like a, a vegan event, TED Talks for vegans, basically. Um, and that's where I met Klaus Mitchell. Young Klaus Mitchell. I mean, he's still young. <laughs> Klaus, is, Klaus is young. Klaus is 27, 28. I feel 28. like I'm hearing the story right now of like superheroes finding each other. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, Klaus, is, Klaus and I kind of met each other um, at this cafe after this big event. And Klaus came up to me and he was like, give me your memory cards. And I was like, what you, who are you? <laughs> Why are you asking me for my memory cards? Uh, and I had no idea who he was. And he was like, I'm class from YouTube. And I'm like, okay. Uh, and I mean, he wasn't like... <laughs> Duh, class from YouTube. He's like, like, don't you know who I am? No, he didn't really say that. But he was, but he, I think he, he assumed that he's, that he's, because we were at a vegan event, he, I think he assumed I, I had known who he was, but I hadn't really been vegan that long. So I wasn't, in, I wasn't involved in any of the vegan media yet. So I hadn't seen his videos and stuff. Anyway, um, that week, he actually ended up helping me move into my house. Um, he, he lived up the road from me, and he ended up moving in, um, and, he, he, and he never went away. Robbie, that's, <laughs> that's how you know you've got a good friend, is when you meet someone on a weekend, and then a few days, or you meet someone during the weekend, and a few days later, they're helping you move your furniture into your house. <laughs> You know, we just got on so well. Um, he's such a great person with a heart of gold. And um, 
and we just spent a lot of time together. And he's like, and then he said to me, do you want, would you want to help out with Plum Based News? Um, and that was kind of looking after the Facebook page and taking over Instagram and like building the website and stuff. And I said, why not? You know, I'm really passionate about this stuff. I feel like more people need to know about what, 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 uh, we're doing and, um, let's do it. Um, and then we did that for a while. And then out of the blue, we got an email from Prince Khaled Al-Walid, who's this vegan Saudi Arabian prince, um, who just sent us a message and said, Hey, love what you're doing. And I really want to support you guys. Oh, we had no idea who he was, and I almost deleted the email, but thankfully I didn't. <laughs> so we uh, responded to the email and said, well, I looked him up, obviously, and That's realized... That's like the typical did... spam email that you get, right? Like, I'm a prince, and I want to support you. Give me your bank account. <laughs> yeah, give me your mother's maiden name, your postcode, your source code, your pin number. Yeah, you got a real live prince coming after you to support you. Oh, my God. <laughs> so he just said, I, I really uh, think you guys are doing a great job, and I want to support you and so we had a call with him and he said to us you know we were, i was very impressed with you uh, especially that your response wasn't just asking for money he's like you wouldn't believe how many times i reach out to people and their first email back to me is how much can you give me um and we weren't even thinking about money we were just thinking about this amazing man who's involved in so many incredible philanthropic projects is actually noticed us and noticed what we're doing um and we were just so humbled by that um and he said, send us a proposal. So we put together this proposal. We stayed up to like eight o'clock in the morning. We didn't sleep. Uh, and like four hours later, we presented it to him. And he was like, yep, yep, yep. This is great. This is great. I can see you know your shit. Excuse, excuse my swearing. Uh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, and uh, he was like, right, let's do it. And, and I want you to quit your jobs. So we both quit our jobs and basically poured everything into it and we have done for the last 18 19 months it's just been a seven day a week kind of job um and it's had many ups and a few downs but it's um i'm really really glad that i that i did it that's amazing i was talking to tony before this episode about how crazy it was that like first there was no plant-based news and then all of a sudden plant-based news was everywhere it was like the go-to source it seemed like it was like overnight it became how could you live without plant-based news anymore? And <laughs> like, not only did it take two superheroes finding each other and just randomly like bonding immediately, but also a prince to step in. That's so beautiful. Right. I didn't Isn't know that, that story. Hilarious. Yeah. 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 People ask all the time, you know, like how, how does it work? And like, what is he like? And, you know, he's, he's just a really passionate person who wants to use the money that his family does have, that he does, that the money that his family does have to, to do good things in the world. Cause you know, from their perspective, you know, the Saudi Arabian regime has a very negative, um, what's the word reputation. And, you know, he's just one person within a very, very big family doing his very best to try and do good things with the time and money that he has. And if anyone else is interested in learning more about Prince Khaled, we, on my other podcast, this is a good podcast, interviewed his Royal Highness. And there is a lot about VCs, his VC in particular, and how he reaches out to vegan companies to expand the message and help it grow, 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 grow further. And that's the Business for Good podcast. Yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah, KBW Ventures. So that's about plant-based news, which we want to talk about a little bit more later. But can you talk about what it's like to be vegan right now in your area? I know that here in, in 
California specifically, it's just exploding where I can walk to maybe seven restaurants within a mile that are not fully vegan that serve the Beyond Burger and Impossible Burger. So that is as mind blowing to me. But what is it like where you're living? Where we're living, I mean, I think I'm trying to find the article, but there was an article recently suggesting that like the UK is the fastest growing uh, vegan food scene in the world. That the businesses, the plant-based businesses, are opening at a, an, an unprecedented rate. Um, every single day, we are getting information about companies that are jumping on board with a plant-based offering. Um, there's a there's a big big brand here in the UK called um, ABP, and they're a kind of a meat company, and they're jumping on board with producing their own burgers because they can see and they know that there's a lot of people who are cutting back on meat. And um, there's 25, 23 to 25 million flexitarians in the UK. So these are people who are actively choosing to reduce the amount of meat in their diet for various reasons, so health reasons, environmental reasons. Maybe they've kind of seen how animals are treated and they're starting to work towards removing animal products from their diet. But there's just so much choice. Every major supermarket now has um, a vegan brand, at least, you know, at least four or five different products. And some supermarkets now have entire vegan aisles now where you can get all the vegan products that you need all in one handy place. Um, ideally, long term, I'd like to see all these products alongside everything else. I'd like all the plant-based milks to be alongside the cow milk, you know, the vegan cheeses alongside the cow cheese. Um, and they're not to be any difference. You know, people kind of see them next to each other and they're more likely to choose them. I think animal, the animal agriculture industry obviously are not happy about that. They're not happy about plant-based mints next to beef mints um, because they know that people are going to be interested in trying um, an alternative and it's tasty, it's healthy, and it's a hell of a lot more environmentally friendly. So it just makes sense for people to try it. Yeah, I, I think it's such a testament seeing the explosion helping happening all around the world that when a better option, a kinder option, a cleaner option, a healthier option exists for people, they will choose it. And same with companies, like if they have the ability and the, the kind of know-how to create better practices, they obviously are going to start doing that. And just we're hitting a tipping point, it seems, that is, is so exciting to see this explosion happen. Yeah, it's incredible. There's just so many products now. I mean, <coughs> excuse me, here in London, we have a monthly event called Vegan Nights. And that is a food and music event in, in London, in, in, in the east end of London on Brick Lane. And um, it's I think it's the last Thursday of every month. And the busiest night, they had 4,000 people. Wow. Oh, my goodness. You know, that's all people coming to try vegan food and kind of, you know, hang out and, you know, just enjoy themselves. Are you active in your vegan scene? Yes. Yeah. Very active. Yeah. So we're, we're, we go to a lot of events and, um, I know kind of most of the people in the, in London kind of vegan scene, business scene, food scene. So, um, that's my job. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about other types of events happening in, in the area, veg fests and beyond? Yeah, so VegFest is obviously yearly as well, and that goes on in all the most of the major cities in the UK, um, and that can attract you know five, six, seven 
eight, nine, ten thousand people. Like it's, it's huge. Um, you, some of the veg fests you go to, and it's it's you know shoulder to shoulder with people, um, and brands go and they're completely sold out whenever they reach the end of the weekend. So it's a, a good opportunity for companies to showcase what they're doing. Um, there's loads of there's so many now companies that do supper clubs. We we've done a few supper clubs as well, and they kind of sell out like really really quickly. Um, what else is going on? There's lots of like food tech events as well. Um, and these events are where entrepreneurs meet and talk about uh, the possibilities of launching plant-based businesses. There's also Vevolution. So Vevolution is like TED Talks for vegans. Um, it used to be, it was originally called Vegan Futures and then it became Vevolution. And Vevolution um, is run by uh, Damien Clarkson and Judy Nadell. They're two incredible people who um, are showcasing all the, the very best of the kind of plant-based and vegan movement from a uh, an event perspective. So they put on a big event and people come and speak um, on, core, on core topics that intersect with veganism. So like environmentalism, zero waste and low impact, um, business and entrepreneurship, um, uh, sustainability, um, and all those kinds of things as well. So evolution is definitely something if you're in London or near London or in Europe, you could really, you'd love it. It's such an incredible event. Are there any... Are there any companies that you're really looking forward to watching expand? Yeah, so there's loads. I mean, in, in the UK and in Europe, the one of some of my favorites. So what, the one company is doing incredibly well is All Plants, um, and they're like a vegan food delivery service. They um, offer you a selection of products you can have delivered to your door, frozen, ready to go into your freezer um, for you to produce uh, to have your lunches and your dinners. Um, there's One Planet Pizza, which is a fantastic vegan pizza company, which is just expanding and growing all the time. Um, there's also V-Bytes Foods, which has been running for 25 years, but they're just starting to kind of like break into the mainstream because I think, you know, plant-based meats just used to be very uncool. No one wanted to eat them. Um, and now they're doing exceptionally well. There's a brand called Viveira, um, which is a, a selection of like plant-based meats. Their first week where they sold 50,000 units of vegan steak um, in Tesco's, which is one of our major supermarkets which is incredible. And then obviously there's Tesco's home brand, which is called Wicked Kitchen by Derek Sarno, who's uh, the director of plant-based innovation. I think they've got like 30 plus products from ready meals to pizzas, to um, salads, to wraps, to everything. And it's just, it's selling. They never expected it to do so well. And of course, also we have another brand actually called pret which is uh, a um ready meal, not ready meals company, but they provide sandwiches and salads to people. They're a bit like Starbucks, but they do sandwiches and salads and they're all over the UK. They even, I think they're in New York as well. Um, and they launched a veggie pret. So, um, a kind of vegetarian version of their, of their, um, store. They were not sure how it would do and they launched it in the summer and they were expecting it to do okay, but it ended up completely blowing everything out of the water. They sold like 70% more than they were expecting to sell. And it did so well that they now have a permanent veggie pret in central London and they've, they're opening multiple other veggie prets across the country. Um, and about 85% of what they sell is vegan. Um, so there's just so much happening. It's hard to keep up with it all. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. As uh, so, as someone who's you spent, how much time have you spent in the U.S. here while you were vegan? 
Um, not a lot. I mean, I came for the animal rights conference in LA, um, and I've had to spend some time in Vancouver for another conference, but not, not, not loads of time. Okay. So what I'm super curious about is like comparing the scene here and the products here and then comparing it in where you are. Um, so like I, I try and report on a roundup of vegan cheeses and I realize this is really only applicable to the U S there's some companies like BioLife, which are kind of spreading all over, which is so handy as you're trying to give people resources for how to go plant-based or how to eat vegan, because you want to give something that they will be able to find in their country, in their city, in their grocery store. Um, so have you seen like specific brands that kind of stretch those boundaries or brands, brands that are just UK specific? I mean, there's so many different brands now. It's hard, I guess, saying it was hard to keep up with it. What, the one, the different, the main differences I feel with American food compared to British food is that I find that the American food, uh, from a pro, being processed perspective, is much higher. There seems to be so many more additives and colorings, and um, you know, the food in the U.S. just there's, there isn't necessarily the emphasis on natural foods as in there as there is in Europe and in the U.K. Uh, I am concerned about things like GMO and w- whether these these f- fruits and vegetables vegetables have, um, cause of some of the products in the U S you know, there's a lot of g- genetically modified organisms. And I have this discussion with people all the time. It's not so much the issue with the organism or the plant itself. It's how they've grown. So the pesticides and glyphosate and all these chemicals that are put into these products, I do worry about people's health when it comes to highly processed foods. Um, in the UK, there's, there's, there, there's no, we just don't do GMO GMO here at all. Um, and so, I, and also like colorings and preservatives and all that kind of, and additives, a lot of the products in the UK, especially the vegan stuff is very much, very much focused on being additive free, coloring free, preservative free. Um, but that's the main kind of difference point of difference really. Um, it, it's also volume as well. Like in the U S everything is much bigger. Uh, you know, here you can buy like some patties some beyond burger patties and there's two, but in, in the U S like you can buy like giant bags of them. (laughs) Like everything is double, triple the size. Everything's bigger in the U.S. Yeah. It's interesting when I, um, traveled to Israel and Spain in both of those places, I was just blown away by the markets with fresh, not only like fresh fruits and vegetables and all of that, that was displayed beautifully, but also the fruit juices, like having just fresh squeezed juices or green juices or pomegranate juices were just at every corner, like as where you'd see Starbucks in every corner of the U.S., you would see fresh juices in these other countries. And I was just blown away that like, this wasn't a trend happening in these countries. This was like normal, normal life. And in the U S it's like, if you're going to go to a juice bar, you're really trendy, have a lot of disposable income to spend and like trying to be on the super health bandwagon. If you're going to go into a juice bar in the U S but in other countries, it was like, this is the norm. Like we should be drinking fresh fruits and vegetables, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I'm wondering how the attitudes are about plant-based eating in the UK. I know that people are still pretty skeptical in the United States, but is that changing uh, where you live or is that common as well? Things are changing, but there's, you just need to go on social media and see how people react to anything vegan or plant-based. There's still this huge amount of um, doubt and criticism that comes from people. People are afraid of us challenging their social norms and their cultures. People in this country are very much um, attached to things like bacon sandwiches. A bacon sandwich in this country is almost kind of a, a national treasure. So, you know, us vegans coming along and, and getting rid of people's bacon, People feel um, threatened by that. Um, And, you know, we're called names and we're called militant vegans and 
you know, there's a real divide. Even in the vegan community, there's a real divide in how to advocate. There's people who like to focus on the pragmatic side of veganism and the educational side, which is like plant-based news. I like to focus on the facts, uh, show people what's going on, let them decide themselves. And then there's the other more, uh, I choose my words very carefully, more um, intense side, which is, you know, really being a lot more assertive or, um, dare I say, aggressive with the facts. Um, and so there is that kind of divide, really. But it, but it, things are changing. You know, everywhere you go in every major city, every restaurant has a vegan menu now. You see boards outside promoting vegan products. It's everywhere. It's on the news. It's in the, it's in the media almost every week, people talking about it. The Guardian, the Metro, all these newspapers are talking about it. And it's on the TV all the time. People are always talking about it. A lot of the time we're being made fun of. People are laughing at us, calling mm -hmm. us extreme, calling us weirdos, calling us hippies. Um, there is a lot of negativity. Uh, you know, in the major cities, obviously things are changing, but I think in the rural areas, um, you know, as with anywhere else in the world, it's going to be a very, very slow, slow process. Um, but I think this is where kind of food technology comes in and supermarkets have, uh, an opportunity to make some real changes. And it's also education, like, you know, government, uh, government officials need to know more about how choosing and eating a plant-based diet is going to reduce people's environmental footprint. And these things need to come from the top down, I think, um, so that people know that it's not just a bunch of hippie tree hugging hippies. <laughs> yeah, from the top down, but also from the bottom up, like with plant-based yeah. news and with the internet and everything that brought you along this path of being so passionate about being able to connect with people all over the world and in every different city and everything just through this, the power of the magical internet. Um, yeah. So, okay. I'm curious for all those listening who don't live in the UK, but maybe they're planning a trip to London or maybe will one day, or maybe just want to have like a vision in their head of what's out there. Like what are the cool places to travel? What are the cool restaurants to go to? What should people be looking out for there? It really depends on which side of the city you're in. Um, there is now literally, there's just an incredible array of uh, places to choose from now. I spend a lot of my time in East London um, and there is, uh, I think there's, maybe like 15 different places that you can go. There's a fantastic new place called um, Genesis. Uh, and it's a, imagine walking into a restaurant that was styled along the theme of Grand Theft Auto. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, it's kind of like neon and everything's pink and brass and steel. And um, the food is amazing. They've got like their own, they make all their own brownies and all, and all their own ice cream. They've got loads of incredible pasta and noodle dishes and pad thais and there's a lot of places that serve like a fusion of different types of food. So there's not kind of just a vegan Italian or a vegan Thai place. There's a lot of these kind of like trendy, hip, cool places that, that do a mixture of different things. Um, one of my favorites is a place called Vantra. And Vantra has been open for 25 years. They've been probably the very first vegan restaurant to ever open in London. And they serve a lot of like slow cooked foods with fermented foods. Um, everything's kind of organic and handmade. Nothing's processed. They don't cook with oil, salt or sugar. Um, and you go along there with your plate and you, you fill up your plate with food and then you weigh it. They, they, you basically pay per, per gram. Um, and there's another place called The Gate, which I absolutely love. Uh, where else is there? Um, oh, just there's so many. I need to get my Happy Cow list up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for anyone listening that isn't already a fan of Happy Cow, it's like Yelp for vegans. And it's so amazing for traveling. Anywhere you travel, you can pull it up on your cell phone. It senses where you are and will show you the, the closest vegetarian, vegan, and veg-friendly restaurants and grocery stores. 
there's a there's a place I love and another one that's just open called Biff's Jack Shack, <laughs> and Biff's Jack Shack sells, uh, uh, <laughs> as the name would suggest, jackfruit burgers, um, and a lot of kind of like deep fried jackfruit. One thing that I, that does concern me, obviously, is the, the the amount of junk food that's associated with veganism. Um, you know, everyone loves junk food, but when you look and you take a step back and look at what's being sold, most of it is junk food, um, and I think you know we. Need to be very cautious when we kind of encourage people to eat junk food and, and remind them that it's something that should be eaten very occasionally because, you know, vegans also die from heart disease. It's not We're not immune to um, disease if we don't eat a whole food plant-based diet. And, you know, a lot of vegan junk food is very high in salt, fat, and sugar and all these things that aren't necessarily good for us. So I always like to remind people, yeah, go wild, like go out into, into a city and try all the junk food, but don't forget to to try and keep it healthy at least 80% of the time. <laughs> yeah, it's like when you first go vegan, you think I'm going to be giving up all of these things, cheese and milk and dairy and ice cream and cupcakes and cookies. And you think you're going to be giving all that up. And then in the beginning, as soon as you start seeing these items pop up, it's like, oh my God, I have to buy that. I have to support that. I have to, I, who knows when the next time I'm going to see a vegan cupcake is. And it's like, <laughs> remember friends that this movement is only growing. And if you're seeing a vegan cupcake now or a vegan donut now, you will see 10 in a few years, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. People, people are very impatient. I think when I went when I went vegan seven years ago, there was absolutely nothing to eat, like as in ready meals and pre-made stuff. Um, uh, I think it was like a couple of versions, a couple of plant milks, and that's it. Now there's almost too much. Yeah, when you started uh, working on plant-based news full time, or even when you started doing it as as more of a as a side a side um, form of activism. Side hustle. Yes, yes. <laughs> Did you did you think that you would be talking more about what's happening in the UK or did you know from the very beginning that you were going to have an international audience? I always thought we were going to have an international audience because I knew that this thing was global that I didn't I never really expected to just to, just to be doing a local stuff. I do my best to try and promote as much local stuff as possible, but the biggest audiences are always the US audiences just because by the sheer number and volume of people interested in the content. Um, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it is a split between the UK and the US when it comes to the number of people who are looking for plant-based or vegan stuff. Um, so yeah, it yeah. is, it's hard to say really. Cause when I, when we started, I didn't know what we were doing. I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Let's just do it. <laughs> I'm surprised on my Instagram, it, it breaks it down by popular city and the most, uh, subscribers, the second city is London, which made me feel like, wow, it's really happening there. It is. Yeah. It's, um, it's quite something. I mean, you know, like I was saying, when we go to vegan nights and you see like four, 4,000 people all partying and eating vegan food, it's really gives you hope. Obviously, you know, that is still a bubble though. So we need to, I, I, I always try to remember that we mustn't get ahead of ourselves that yes, things are changing, but there's a long way to go. Yeah. I love having these conversations with you because it allows me to kind of sit comfortably in my bubble and feel like, oh my gosh, everything's moving so fast in such positive directions everywhere. But you're so right. It's, it is not, not anywhere as, I mean, when we can sit in these um, vegan Mecca cities, like we're in California and the Bay area and you're in London, which are some of the top vegan cities in the world, it can feel like, oh my gosh, the world is going to be in a peaceful place very soon. But you step outside of those cities and it's a completely different situation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. My brother just graduated from boot camp in South Carolina. And so I was on a military base for days. 
And it made me feel like, oh my gosh, this is, this is what it is for so many people where they live in a place that doesn't have the best vegan versions. Although surprisingly, the commissary did have some vegan options. So uh, it is nice to see. (laughs) Yeah, ramen. It is nice to see it growing, but I wish it would happen more rapidly. Oh, definitely, definitely. I'm I'm so impatient. I kind of want to scream this stuff from the rooftops, but um, unfortunately, I feel like we have to be really strategic with humanity because anything that's rushed onto people, you know, they end up rejecting it, which is what happens most of the time. You know, a huge proportion of people who try to live a vegan lifestyle fail at it because the society around them, the friends and family, are not really that forget. Not they're not supportive. Most people are not supportive. Um, I was laughing on my previous podcast um, with Nimai Delgado. I was chatting to him about it, and he said, you know, sometimes people would prefer you to come out as gay than be vegan. <laughs> like, you know, when I came out, like, it was such a shock. But when I came out as vegan, my parents were like, oh, my goodness, you're going to die. Are you sure this is healthy? And they were sort of panicked. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That is, that, that is an intense comparison and yeah, it's crazy how, how much, how shocking it is for people when you change something that's so basic and normal in other people's lives or the way we eat or the way we live or who we love, any of these things that like, really, we should be able to do whatever we want with our bodies. <laughs> Isn't it funny how before you go vegan, no one really cares about what you eat. Right. And then you go vegan and then suddenly everyone's a goddamn nutritionist. <laughs> Yeah, it's so true. It's like crazy how many articles have to be written about how you can get your protein on plants, which protein is in everything before like even a small percentage of the population will start understanding that. Um, Okay, so I have a question about health. So in the beginning, you said what spurred you on this journey to begin with was you were having all these health challenges. Um, But I don't think we ever got to kind of the other end of that. How do you feel now? How has has plant based eating kind of transformed that at all for you? I mean, I still have a lot of health problems, but they're mainly caused by the fact that I sit on my bum all day editing and writing (laughs) and like, you know, I don't, I don't move enough. And so I don't exercise enough. You could be like Dr. Gregor and get a that's a great idea yeah but but the other health problems that I had I had a lot of like bloating and pain and skin issues and like rashes and eczema and all that that all completely disappeared wow um, I have the I have the odd day where I have some like d- digestive discomfort but like most people but that's probably because I ate a Greg's vegan sausage roll <laughs> yeah so in the U.S. here uh, like one of the the big struggles is in our medical community, doctors don't have to get a lot of nutrition training in order to become medical doctors. Is it the same um, in the UK or do you feel it's like exactly, you can turn? Yeah, you, you can turn. exactly the same. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly the same. Doctors on average get four to six hours of nutritional training in their kind of five to seven year um, courses. So, yeah, they get nothing at all. Um, And it's kind of shocking. And the number of times um, I, it just happened just this week. I said to my friend who's having some, a lot of digestive problems and gut problems, and he's also suffering with uh, depression and they're interlinked. You know, if your gut bacteria is not producing serotonin or helping you produce serotonin, at least um, it's going to affect your, your mood. Um, 
if you're not digesting your food properly, that's going to affect your well-being and your immune system. And he said to his doctor, oh, it might be a problem with my diet or something that I'm eating. And the doctor was like, no, it's not nothing to do with your diet. It's nothing to do with what you eat. What you eat doesn't affect how you feel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. You know, and that's a prime example, one example of how, how millions of people go to these doctors, these, these or what we call general practitioners here, and ask them about things like depression, uh, eczema, skin issues, acne, uh, and the doctors kind of just give you pills um, or ointments or, you know, things that um, kind of gloss over the problem and don't get to the root of the problem. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm hoping that that will change in all countries <laughs> soon. It seems like things are changing pretty rapidly here in that space as uh, more, uh, you know, films like What the Health are like starting to get us to at least think about how our food choices impact our health and well-being. And that's that's spreading to the medical community, too. Now there's so many more doctors that are becoming at least conscious of the fact that, okay, maybe I'm not going to suggest this to a patient because I don't believe they'll follow it. Like, that's a whole other topic, but, um, mm. more conscious that it, it, what we're eating really does impact our, our health in so many different ways. No, definitely. And the work that the PCRM and the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine is doing, um, you know, to kind of convince doctors that helping people change, well, helping people reverse chronic disease, a lot of it is to do with what people eat. You know, 95% of um, cancer is lifestyle related. And I think, you know, if we're getting people to change their lives, it's not just about what we eat. It's also how we live as well. The stress levels, the, the fact that people don't get out enough, that people spend far too much time inside, um, glued to their screens. Um, there's a lot of changes that need to happen in healthcare for people to start to see that we can take more, uh, personal responsibility for our own health. It's not just about popping pills every day. Yeah. And it's very empowering. So it's, that's hopefully people will take that news and find it as positive news as being able to take control of our own health. Um, we're coming near the end of the podcast now, but I definitely want to hear about kind of the latest happening at plant-based news. What's coming? What can people look forward to? Uh, what can you share with us about that? And where can people find you? So you can find us at plantbasednews.org and on all social networks forward slash plantbasednews, including YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud. Um, the kind of things that we're focusing on this ne- next coming year is education. We've already got two courses running on our Vimeo On Demand page, how to have a successful vegan pregnancy and also raising a child vegan. And we've got information there from Dr. the amazing Dr. Gemma Newman, everything you need to know about raising your child vegan or from all the nutritional information. And there's going to be more of that coming up. So we're just going to be pushing uh, the educational side of things. We've got a huge array of interviews and um, what we call epic media takedowns on our YouTube channel, where we kind of challenge the mainstream narrative. You know, there's a lot of people talking about the carnivore diet and going on about how we have to eat meat and have to eat animal products. And we're just going to keep on being uh, the counter narrative to all that stuff. So if you want stuff, if you want content that's well thought out and Um, backed up by science and people who have a legitimate voice in the plant-based movement, then check us out on YouTube. Uh, And then our website will just continue to grow and expand. We'll be adding recipes to our website soon uh, where we have a a section called PBN Food where we kind of showcase all the very best plant-based and vegan chefs and foodies from around the world and loads more other things to come. 
That's amazing. When you were saying you were creating courses, I got really excited and started squirming in my seat. But I, I as you started telling us, I was picturing, okay, he's going to have a how to go vegan course or like one of the obvious things. But what I really love about what you guys are doing is you're strategically looking at what needs to be covered that has not been covered already. What are topics that people are so confused about that they need the information? It's not out there packaged in, a, in the best way yet. And you're going after those things. And I think that is so beautiful and so helpful. And we'll definitely include all of those links that you just mentioned over in the show notes. Awesome job. Thank you so much for all the work you're doing, Robbie. And if anyone wants to like stand by um, our friend, the Prince and support plant-based news, I very, very much encourage people to do that because you're doing amazing, incredible work. And thank Thank you for for coming on the show and sharing what it's like where you live. And we hope that you come here so we can show you what it's like where we live. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm ready. I'm coming. (laughs) Please do. All right, Robbie. Thanks again. My pleasure. I'll speak to you guys soon. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye. All right. Well, I feel inspired to book a ticket and go travel to London. <laughs> I actually did book a ticket to go to London. Um, Bea, who works with both Tony and myself on Plant Based on a Budget and on World of Vegan and on this podcast, and she's basically like behind the scenes and everything that we do. She lives in London. And so we're like, oh my gosh, we need to travel there. And now Tony actually is. Yes, I'm so excited. We've already made all of our plans and it's becoming so plant-based friendly. As you heard that I am just going to go try every single option everywhere. Yes. As always, we will include lots of show notes with some of the coolest London things mentioned in this episode and beyond over at plantpoweredpodcast.com. And a quick reminder to check out our sponsors, Brightland Olive Oil. You can head over to their website, brightland.co and use the promo code plantlove at checkout on their olive oil duo. Yum. Thank you guys so much for joining us. And until next time, we'll see you later. Bye. Bye.